If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Numbers chapter 20. We are reading from verses 1 to 13 this morning. And if we haven't met, my name is Eddie Pian. I'm one of the pastoral interns here at Cornerstone, and、um, it really is a great privilege and honor to get to bring you the Word of God this morning. Nothing better to do than to bring the Word of God. And we are currently in a series entitled Five on Five: Genesis to Deuteronomy. We've been looking at five lessons each in the first five books of the Bible. And today we're in our second sermon in the book of Numbers. Our sermon for this morning is entitled "A Lesson in Full Obedience." If you found your places, and if you are able, I invite you now to stand with me. We stand as our act of worship and reverence as we read and receive God's word together. Please give your full attention now to Numbers twenty verses one to thirteen. Receive now God's word. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarrelled with Moses and said, "Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord! Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place?" It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them." And give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord, as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, "Hear now, you rebels! Shall we bring water for you out of this rock?" And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, "Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarrelled with the Lord, and through them He showed Himself holy. The grass withers and the flower falls." But the word of the Lord remains forever. Please be seated. Would you pray with me once more? O、oh、Lord, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Lord, we do need knowledge, and so we need the help and illumination of your Spirit to understand your word rightly today. To open our eyes to see wonderful things. To see our Savior in this Word, we pray you would give us that help, Lord. Give us spiritual insight. We pray, but give us that insight also, Lord, that we would increase not in mere knowledge which puffs up, but in love for you, for one another. Thank you, Lord, for this Word in Numbers. Would you write its truths on our hearts for Jesus' sake? May the words of my mouth. 
and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the strong name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Some people say that one of the best ways to really get to know someone is to go on a road trip with them. It's not primarily because it'll allow you to spend a lot of quality time together, although hopefully it will. And the idea is that when you are in a car with another person for hours on end, stuck together in that cramped little space, maybe with limited food and snacks and far away from home, you will see new sides of that person that you maybe never would have expected to see otherwise. How does this person act when he or she is tired and uncomfortable? How, do they get cranky, irritable? Do they complain? How do they deal with discomfort? How do they handle conflict when they're very stressed? That's probably very different from how they handle conflict when they are not stressed. And the whole idea of this is that it's when you see someone at their worst, such as on a long road trip, that you really get to know them on a deeper level. Well, I bring up this example because it highlights a certain reality about the human heart that figures prominently in the book of Numbers. And that is that when we are restless or uncomfortable, especially for long periods of time, our worst tendencies tend to rise to the surface. We complain, we argue, we forget the good things we have, and we fixate on the things that we don't have. We fixate on what's stressing us out. Discomfort and restlessness often bring out the worst in us, and these things provoke us to sin. And this relates to a major theme that we see in the book of Numbers. Last week, if you were here, you might remember Pastor Andrew shared that in the original Hebrew, the book of Numbers had a different, and frankly, much more interesting title, In the Wilderness. You hear Numbers, it's like boring, but In the Wilderness. Um, sounds like, was there a Disney movie that came out? not too long ago, Into the Woods, something like that. I think that's the title. Well, In the Wilderness was the original title of the Book of Numbers. And if you read the Book of Numbers, you'll see that it is indeed a story about God's people in the wilderness, Israel wandering through the wilderness. That is where they have been ever since God delivered them out of Egypt. And they are waiting to enter the promised land so they can settle down and rest from all their wandering. Well, as it turns out, big surprise, life in the wilderness has been pretty hard. And so in all their waiting and wandering, the Israelites have complained out of their discomfort again and again. And in their complaining again and again, they have sinned against the Lord. They complain about food. They complain about water. They complain about their leaders. And every time they complain, they say they wish they could have stayed in Egypt instead of having God deliver them out of slavery, they, they, they say life was better back then. And over and over again, they show how they don't believe God can actually provide these things that they think they need, even after God has proved again and again that he can, and he does provide for his people. Now, in our passage today, this pattern continues, but the focus is actually not on the people this time, but on their leaders, Moses and Aaron we see that not even the righteous leaders of Israel are immune from these wilderness temptations. And there are consequences to pay for their disobedience. But we're also going to see that although the consequences for disobedience are severe, God does show grace to disobedient people. 
And that matters for us because we too are in our own wilderness wanderings, so to speak. Like the Israelites, we are people who have been redeemed but are still waiting to enter our final rest, our promised land. There is a long journey ahead in this wilderness and it is fraught with all sorts of perils, sins, sufferings, temptations to disobedience. We will need help to make it through this wilderness journey. So here is our help, our point of meditation for this morning. Christ is the rock who gives living water to disobedient wilderness wanderers. Christ is the rock who gives living water to disobedient wilderness wanderers. I'd like to explore this point and our passage this morning under three headings. First, the grumbling of the people, then the disobedience of Moses, and third, the water from the rock. Once again, that's the grumbling of the people, the disobedience of Moses, and the water from the rock. First, the grumbling of the people. Once again, the people of Israel prove themselves to be a disobedient, rebellious, faithless people. Verse 1, And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Our passage, our story today begins with a time marker to situate us in the book of Numbers. It tells us where we are in Israel's journey in the wilderness. It's hard to tell just from this verse, but it has been almost 40 years, almost 40 years since God brought Israel out of Egypt, almost 40 years that Israel has been camping out and wandering around in the wilderness. Now they are camping out in a place called Kadesh, they are still in the wilderness, and we're told that Miriam died there. Miriam was not just some random Israelite woman. She was the sister of Moses and Aaron, the leaders of Israel. These decades of wandering, 40 years in the wilderness, have taken their toll on everyone. And Miriam's death shows us that not even the leaders were spared from the difficulties of this journey. So on one hand, you could say it's no big surprise that over these last 40 years, the people have been fed up. They've been frustrated by their circumstance. In their discomfort, they've grumbled, they've rebelled, they've sinned against the Lord time and time again. That's exactly what they do again here. Verse 2, now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. So the people have banded together once again, and they are complaining against Moses and Aaron. What's the problem? They, they are thirsty. There's no water. And the problem with that is that if you're in the wilderness without water, that is a death sentence. They say you can survive without food for as long as a few weeks. Without water, you'll last about three days. And as is their habit, the people say they would have rather died, whether by an act of God's judgment, as we see in verse 3, or just by staying in Egypt, verse 5. On one level, you can't help but feel for them at first. This is a life-or-death situation. I think any of us would be scared. But this complaining about having no water takes on new significance when we realize 
This is not the first time the Israelites have found themselves in this exact situation. We read in Exodus 17 what's almost a parallel account to this one. I'm not going to read all of that for you, but you can see for yourself in, in your own time. In that story in Exodus 17, there's no water to drink. The people complain to Moses. Moses seeks the Lord's help. The Lord tells him to strike a rock with his staff. Water comes out of the rock and the people drink. That's not from our passage today. That's from Exodus, Exodus 17. All of this that we read today has happened before. When the people were in need, God provided. The fact that there is no water in this desert wilderness never stopped God from providing water before. Nature is his, and he is able to provide water from the driest situation. And that changes how we understand our passage here in Numbers. It would be one thing if this was their first time not having water. It's another thing entirely for them to form this angry mob and make these complaints like this against Moses and Aaron when they've been in this exact same situation before. These are faithless, forgetful people. It's one thing to complain out of ignorance. If you're an Israelite wandering in the wilderness and for the first time you find yourself with no water to drink, okay, sure, we can see how you'd be worried. Yes, God did part the Red Sea for you, but you know, if you've never seen God bring water out of a rock, okay, we can give you some sympathy. But if you've already seen God miraculously bring water out of a rock in a place where there's no water, you have no excuse for this kind of unbelief. Many of you know that I'm a musician. I play the cello. And I've also lived with roommates in the past. And this is oftentimes not a good combination. And the sound of music being performed is wonderful, hopefully. Uh, the sound of music being practiced is horrible. And it is roommates who end up suffering the most. Um, and one semester during college when I was studying abroad, I shared a room in the dorm with a classmate. And uh, the first time I practiced with him in the room, uh, he was trying to study. Uh, and I saw him go from trying to study as he was to putting on his noise-canceling headphones. I saw him find an online white noise generator, and I saw him turn the volume all the way up on his computer. Now I saw that, and if I had been a reasonably conscientious person, I probably would have realized my practicing was bothering him and I would have stopped. Unfortunately for him, I was not, and the next day I was back at it. Um, the, and the fact that I repeated my actions, knowing that I had bothered him the first time, made it far worse when I did it again. Hopefully I've gotten better since then. But I bring that up because that is sort of like what the Israelites have done here in complaining a second time about having no water. They've already seen God provide water miraculously, and yet they grumble they rebel. In fact, they go as far as to call this wilderness an evil place, you see here in verse 5, as if God hasn't been with them, providing for them, protecting them in the wilderness this whole time. Their thirst has led them to sin and unbelief. But for all their unbelief, the people are not even the main offenders in our story. For that, we look to their leaders. And that brings us to our second heading, the disobedience of Moses. Now, Moses and Aaron are in crisis. They're surrounded by an angry mob. They're in the middle of nowhere. What are they going to do? Are they going to argue with the mob? 
probably not unless they have a death wish. These people are so frustrated. They think they're going to die. Probably don't want to cross them. They could try to reason with the people, call them down and say, you know, we've been wandering around for a really long time. Looks like God is about to bring us into the promised land. Just hold on a little longer. We'll all be home soon. But no, they don't, they don't do that either. And before they even say a word to the people, Moses and Aaron actually do a very wise thing. They seek the counsel of the Lord. They go to God and ask what they should do. I just stop and imagine for a second how many of our conflicts our struggles with people would be um, helped so much if we would just take a moment and ask, what would the Lord have me do? But that is what Moses and Aaron do here. Um, so verse 6, Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. They seek God's wisdom in humility. That's what they're doing here. And God shows up and he responds and he tells them what they need to do to get out get out of this mess. So picking up in verse six, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take your staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. It seems easy enough, right? Three simple instructions, all of which Moses has done before. Take your staff, go back to the people, Speak to the rock. Speak. That's, that's different this time, and that's significant. Um, and water will come out, and everyone will be happy. And we read in the next verse that Moses starts off by doing just that, as the Lord has commanded him. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. So we're off to a good start. But this is not to last, because we read in verse 10, then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? You hear the defiance, the air of superiority in his voice. It's as if he's saying, you people wanted water, we'll give you water. As if it was Moses who was providing water for God's people and not God. So then verse 11 and Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. It's a very dramatic scene. Moses defiantly confronts the people. They're all gathered here by this rock, seeing what he's going to do, how he's going to respond to their complaining. You hear the crack of the staff against the rock, and the water miraculously gushes out, and the people drink, and they're satisfied. Unfortunately for Moses, it was not this kind of drama that God had in mind, because we read in the next verse, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. This is the curse for Moses' disobedience. Because of what they've just done, Moses and Aaron, who until this point have been beacons of faithfulness among a faithless people, these leaders will not enter the promised land. They've disqualified themselves from their reward of that final rest. They've disqualified themselves from receiving the rest that they've been leading God's people to for the last almost 40 years. All because of one act of disobedience, Moses striking the rock 
instead of just speaking to it like God had told him to. At this point, you may be wondering, what is the big deal about Moses striking the rock rather than speaking to it? Does the punishment really match the offense? Is what Moses did, his one act of disobedience, really as bad as the people's unbelief? Is it on the same level? We're told in the last verse of our passage that through them, he, the Lord, showed himself holy. God is holy. He is righteous in all his judgments. And yes, Moses' offense really was that bad. Because you see, his sin was not just the mere act of striking the rock. That in itself is not sinful. In fact, in the Exodus 17 story with the, the, the water coming out of the rock, God commanded Moses to strike the rock with his staff and bring out the water. Moses did that that first time and God approved. No, this time it was not the mere striking that earned Moses this punishment and this judgment. God gives us a clue about just what was so bad about striking the rock. He says, because you did not believe in me. In his striking of the rock, Moses shows unbelief in God. Unbelief, the same sin of the people. His takeaway from his conversation with God when he went to the Lord to seek the Lord's counsel was not I'm going to obey God and he will provide the water. His takeaway was, these people have rebelled. I'm against them too. God's on my side and now I will provide the water. It would be one thing if he said, here now you rebels, the Lord will bring water for you out of this rock. That would be one thing. But Moses has set himself up as the savior. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock. Moses has decided that he will be the judge of the people and the water will be his to provide. He's forgotten who's in charge here. He's put himself in the place of God and he faces the consequences for it. And this might seem unfair. Why curse Moses and Aaron when they've led Israel so faithfully up until this point? Is it really fair to punish them this severely for one slip up? They've been so obedient. They've done what God has told them to do. They've endured the people's complaining for almost 40 years. They haven't done any complaining themselves. Even in this story, they followed God's instructions for the most part. Right? Moses took the staff, he assembled the people, he went to the rock, and he brought water out from it. Shouldn't that be close enough? Isn't, wasn't that close enough to what God had asked for? Why can't God let this one little thing slide? Well, the reality and the truth is God cannot let that slide. And he's not being petty or unfair. He's teaching us something about obedience. It is not enough to obey God in part. In order for Moses and Aaron to enter the promised land, their obedience must be full, perfect, complete. God demands full obedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. James 2.10 in the New Testament makes this same point. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point become accountable for all of it. And this full obedience, this 
perfect obedience is what God requires of us all. It's what he requires of you and me. Like Moses, you can live an exemplary life of faith. You can do all sorts of service in the church, do all sorts of good works, and seek after God's own heart. But if you fail even once, if you sin even once, whether by your hands or in your heart, the wages of your sin will be death. Your obedience cannot be anything less than perfect to meet God's perfect standard. Imagine someone gives you a cup of water to drink, image just for the sake of example, and then they tell you, oh yeah, by the way, there's a deadly toxin in that water, the kind that you know only a little bit will kill you, but the toxin's only like 2% of what's in there. Rest of the 98% pure, delicious water. Who here is going to drink? None of us, of course, because you and I, even if you've never thought about this before, hold strictly to a standard of 0% deadly poison in the water that we drink. Partial deadly poison is still deadly poison. And so it is with God's holy standard. God holds to a standard of 0% sin, 0% disobedience for anyone who would be counted righteous and enter God's rest and receive God's reward. 99% obedience will not do. And in this case, Moses and Aaron's 99% obedience did not do the trick because disobedient people, both then and now, whether they've been disobedient for a long time, like the Israelites, or just once, like Moses and Aaron, disobedient people fall under God's judgment. They need help. Our passage shows us that not even the leaders were worthy to enter the promised land. For their one act of disobedience, even after decades of faithful service, Moses and Aaron are counted as rebels too, just like the people. The point we learn from God's curse on Moses is this. Good obedience is not enough to meet God's standard. Only full obedience can do that. So if you, no matter how well you may think you obey God, have ever disobeyed, have ever sinned, then your obedience to God is partial. You too deserve not God's rest, but his punishment. But that is not all there is to this story, praise God, because there is also great hope. So we come now to our final heading, the water from the rock. It's curious that despite Moses' disobedience, God still provides water from the rock. That should give us pause. It should surprise us. Because if Moses disobeyed God in his very act of bringing water out of the rock, a direct violation of God's command, and if his disobedience was significant and serious enough for God to curse him and not allow him to enter the promised land, then why did water still come out of the rock for the people? It did come out for the people. And I don't think it's a stretch to assume that their disobedient leaders, Moses and Aaron, also drank this water. If Moses and Aaron's disobedience is so serious, why didn't God just allow them all to just die of thirst there in the wilderness? Why does God still provide? 
Well, the New Testament sheds light for us on what this is. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, reflecting on this story, writes this about the wandering Israelites in 1 Corinthians 10.4. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. That is how Paul looks back on this story and interprets it for us. The rock was Christ. In Moses' very act of disobedience, striking the rock, and to satisfy the grumblings of a disobedient people, it was Christ who poured forth water in the wilderness. In fact, the water didn't just come out of the rock. We're told that it came out abundantly. God poured out life-giving water for his people. And all these disobedient, grumbling people drank their fill. All this is a picture of God's grace, an outpouring of compassion and love on people who did not deserve it. Paul says that the rock was Christ because this rock in the wilderness points us forward to Christ. Because as serious as it was that the Israelites had no water to drink, Christ was concerned about much more than physical thirst because Moses and Aaron's greatest problem, the people's greatest problem, was not their physical thirst, but their spiritual thirst. The people thirsted in their hearts for comfort, rest from their wanderings, communion with God, things which can only be found, as we know now, in Christ. And we see that in their complaining and their rebellion, they are thirsty and seeking to quench that thirst in the wrong places. Their disobedience and their sin showed that they needed spiritual water from God in this wilderness to satisfy their spiritual thirst. And that is why Paul says Christ gave the wandering Israelites spiritual drink. This is exactly what Christ has done for disobedient and spiritually thirsty people like you and me. The only man to ever obey God in full and not in part, Christ our rock, was struck on the cross to bear the curse and punishment that we deserved for our disobedience, for our partial obedience. And when he was struck, streams of grace poured out of that rock abundantly. So disobedient and spiritually thirsty people like you and me could drink to our fill and thirst no more. Dear friends, Christ was not content to leave us in the wilderness to die of our spiritual thirst. You see the same heart in how he was not content to leave these Israelites by the rock to die of their thirst. So Jesus gives us this invitation in John 7. If anyone thirsts, anyone, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is Christ's invitation to anyone who thirsts in their soul to come and drink by faith in him and to be filled with his spirit. Christ invites you to come. Are you weighed down by the weight of your disobedience and your sin? Is your inability to measure up to God's perfect standard preventing you from drawing near to God in faith and repentance? Look at this rock and see how Christ pours out water for the most undeserving people.
Friends, Christ is the rock who gives living water to disobedient wilderness wanderers. The streams of his mercy can never run dry. We are in our own wilderness wanderings. We have a long journey ahead. Come and drink. We will need that drink for the journey ahead. Let's pray.